Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventures, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet. I'm your co-host, Stacy, And I'm your other co-host, Christopher. And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Hi, Doug. Felicitations. Felicitations. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm ready for the weekend. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Me too. <laughs> uh, me t- it's, our, it's the Friday thing again. Last it's time. I know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm ready, but I'm I'm ready here too. So let's do it. <laughs> okay. All right. We've been given our orders, Christopher, <laughs> to get on with it. This is why we have producer Doug. It's so true. So true. Well, you had an adventure over the weekend. Yeah, we did. You know, um, it's. It snowed quite a bit here recently, it was the day we were recording this, and uh, just to to kind of avoid the the mountain and everything and all the traffic and all the Mm -hmm. stuff that's going on, Wills and I decided we would get out of the house and go in the other direction. He had never been to Fish Lake Valley. Really? So, I know, right? Surprise. Who hasn't been to Fish Lake Valley? Well, probably many of our listeners haven't been to Fish Lake Valley, (laughs) so let me situate where it is. In Mono County, which is where we're located, yes. along the eastern side of the southern part of the county are the White Mountains. Yes. That's over where Benton is and mm-hmm. Chalfont. And, um, you know, we've talked about Benton Hot Springs yep. and everything. The, the, those mountains kind of form almost a natural border with Nevada. Right. Mono County crosses those mountains and actually dips down for a little bit into Fish Lake Valley on the other side of the mountains um, in a place called Oasis, which we've chatted about before, which really feels probably like the most remote corner of Mono County. I think it is. <laughs> but um, we decided we'd just do a morning drive through Fish nice. Lake Valley just to kind of see what it was like, get out, get some fresh air, um, and go in a different direction. So we drove south, and we went over West Guard Pass, Pass. Yep. which is out of Big Pine down in the Owens yep. Valley. And you go go east over the, the in between the Inyo and the White Mountain Ranges there. Mm-hmm. And it's scenic in and of itself. It's a little windy road. It's very windy. And very narrow in spots. <laughs> a little sketchy. <laughs> a little sketchy. You go through Deep Springs yes. Valley where there's a... A university. A, yes. An institute of higher education that's yeah. very well known in the world is situated out there, very remote. And you go over a couple of passes. And it's really great because especially this time of year, I love the snow on the Sierra. I always think snow-covered Sierra just brings out their personality of these mountains yeah. and their, the peaks. And at that point, you can kind of turn around and look back. You're looking back across the mountains you're on across the valley mm-hmm. and you see the snow-capped Sierra in the distance and it really is just beautiful. Like you feel yeah. like you're up in an airplane. You're so high and you see these mountains. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And then you duck down, you drive down into, which is the valley, the valley Fish Lake Valley and you end up in Oasis. There's mm-hmm. a little sign that says, welcome back to Mono County. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, which is very, it's, it's ranches out there mm-hmm. for the most part. And you turn north and you can drive up the highway and you eventually do cross over into Nevada. Right. 
you're on the Nevada side and you're on the eastern side of the White Mountains, which is something we rarely see. Yeah. And they, they were very snow capped and beautiful. They have and a lot of snow on them right now. A lot of snow for them <laughs> right now. And, it, you know, it was just a nice day to be out driving through ranches nice. and past the, you know, the the homesteads that are out there. And you'd probably drive for maybe an hour and then you can kind of loop back around the north side of the mm-hmm. White Mountains and Boundary Peak, which is Nevada's tallest mountain, but one of the most dominant mountains you can see anywhere in Mono County. I can look out my office right. window and see, see it. it. Um, and there, there's, you're kind of driving up through the snow and over Montgomery Pass before you come back down into California. And that's one of my favorite little drives because the mountains, again... You've got Boundary Peak right there next to you on the highway, and then you see the Sierras again from a little bit farther north, and they're just, they stand out against the blue sky right now with all the snow on them. And of course, you're also driving across Montgomery Pass, which used to have a casino and a motel. Yes. And I think it burned down or something. And a brothel. A brothel. And a brothel. Brothel. Yes, exactly. Um, All of that. Right across the state yeah. line in Nevada used to be a hopping place. Yeah. Uh, I remember it. Yeah. Well, you know, we we always take West Guard Pass to, mm-hmm. if we're driving to Vegas. Right. And you drive, you know, you make that right-hand turn at 75, mm-hmm. I think is... In where, Oasis, in yeah. In Oasis. And that's where the big bunny ranch used to be. <laughs> it's and really bizarre. You, the sign's still there. And <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> and there's nothing else around. It's nothing, just Nothing, 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 nothing. Um, well, the same is coming back into California. So, you know, it was just a nice, you know, locals know this. My brother and sister-in-law lived out in Fish Lake Valley for a while when they were first married. You know, it's, it's ranches. Yeah. It's a scenic way out. If you don't want to go up into the Sierras for the day, you can go the other direction and just check it out. It's really, really gorgeous. And it is so stunning right now, you know, even every morning driving into town that we've had, you know, since the storm has passed Mm -hmm. and we've had this clear weather, the blue sky, you know, with the the snow-covered mountains set against it, it's just it's so beautiful. It takes your breath away. That's why we live here. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hopefully on the day that this comes out, which is the very end of the month, there's yeah. still snow up there, or maybe we'll have gotten some Maybe some snow. more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed. <laughs> In the meantime, we hope you've had some adventures, some happy, safe snow adventures of your own, and we will be right back to chat books. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, Books and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the B portion of our podcast where we talk about bu-bu-bu-bu. Books, right? Yeah. <laughs> this time we decided got a to good one. <laughs> we got a good one. We decided to read the same book, which is always a delight because we've already probably spent forty-five minutes talking about it at each other. So we're saving up the rest for this. I know, and I was just looking through the. I have uh, the library copy that mm-hmm. you gave to me, and I have all these flags in there. And I was just looking through there, and I can't 
remember some of the flaws. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was important enough that I put them there to begin with. <laughs> I so do the same that thing. Says something. I see all sorts of colored things sticking out of that book. Make yeah. sure, Superintendent Adler, that you pull will, those out. Before I will remove the them before I return the book. I promise. <laughs> but you know, you can't highlight a library book. That's unfortunate. Thank you for not highlighting a library I, I, book. Would not do that. <laughs> As executive director of the library, yeah, that exactly. would not, I'd be shooting myself in the foot. That I would think. become an agenda <laughs> on a board meeting. I know. At any rate, back to the book. Yes. So the book that we chose, and I will say we had originally slotted a different book to talk about this episode, but I had started reading this just mm-hmm. as an aside as a book myself. And I was like, oh, Stace, you have to read this yeah. and we have to talk about it and we'll do it on the podcast. The title is Vladimir. And it's a first novel by Julia May Jonas that came out to great reviews earlier this year. Rightly so. Rightly so. And part of the reason that it struck a chord with me is that it's, I found it kind of provocative. It is. I, <laughs> rightly so. So I'll tell, I'll give a little bit of a heads up yep. to our listeners who aren't familiar with the book, what it's about. And it's not a very long book. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a pretty brief book. Um, so the title is Vladimir, and as you may suspect by the title, if you're a literature major, like some of us were, it draws allusions from Nabokov's work. So uh, Pale Fire, Lolita, Lolita. others, and the, the setting is a married couple of college literature professors in their late 50s are grappling with a post-Me Too era consequences of their open relationship. He is subject to a campus investigation for having had numerous affairs basically with much younger female students over the years and she develops an unnatural obsession of her own with a younger good-looking professor named Vladimir who has just joined the faculty along with his wife and I will say the novel is written entirely from her perspective the the wife right. of the professor's perspective and um, like Nabokov's Lolita, it even starts with a prologue in which you get your first glimpse of her psyche as she casually points out she is watching Vladimir, the young professor, sleep as she writes, his hand handcuffed to a chair. Dun, dun, dun. So that's how, that's the prologue. I'm not giving right. anything away. No, no. And I, when I read it, I was like, where is this going exactly? <laughs> So, yeah, do you want to kick off the conversation? Yeah, so, I mean, it was very provocative, as you said. Mm -hmm. I think that's a a good word. And really brought up uh, so many different issues in terms of what it's like to be in a long-term marriage, open Mm -hmm. open or otherwise. Right, right. Um, What, how couples at different stages in their relationship, how they, they relate and, and interact. Of course, there's the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you mentioned in, in the summary that the um, husband of the narrator mm-hmm. has been accused of having multiple affairs with students, mm-hmm. but she's always pointing out this was before the university had a l- policy against right you know, having affairs with students, like they needed to have one, but before that took place and the, the theme of power in relationships, both marriage relationships and university Mm -hmm. relationships, um, is a big theme throughout the book. It is. And I think there's a one point in the novel where she points out, um, at least most of his affairs, he is named, his name is John. Right. Hmm. 
boring name. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't seem to be terribly sorry for having had affairs. No. He and his wife thought they had these, you know, agreement about their marriage that the women he had an affairs with, you know, were in their twenties. So they were right. over 18 or over right. 21 or whatever. So they supposedly had agency of their own, right? Um, but they were much younger. But, but it was consensual, right. you know, that's always pointed out as right. well. And, you know, one of the Early on in the book, and this is when I I went to you and said, "Okay, can help me help me understand where this is going." <laughs> um, early on in the book, several of the narrator students come to her and they say, "You know, you don't have to uh, stay with him. You don't have to support him. You you know, they're basically trying to get her mm-hmm. to admit that she." is disdainful of what he did and how she, you know, she doesn't support him. And, mm-hmm. and her reaction is so unique. And I, I mean, I, you, as a, as a teacher myself, if, if I ever had students come to me and give me their opinion about my life, mm-hmm. I would respond with, well, thanks. I really, I appreciate you thinking. I appreciate your caring about me, whatever you can go away now. But she just, she just kind of launches right into them and tells them all, you know, the speech that she gives. I just don't even know how that, you know, how the author came up with that. <laughs> well, I think she puts her. So again, like you're the positioning of the book as the reader is you are in her mind. You're right. in this. She's 58 years old. She's in the same English department as her husband. She's yeah. really all the spotlights as much as on her mm-hmm. as his yes. wife as it is on him and his behavior. And, you know, she's kind of at this point in her life, you know, the world, the author has said, she's writing a character that the world is shifting beneath her feet. Yeah. And how, you know, in today's world, students would feel comfortable getting together in a group and coming to her office and saying, hey, it's okay to divorce the guy. Stop talking, you know, leave the department or whatever. And she's like, no, wait, like, you know, A, the the women who participated had agency of their own. Right. You know, when I was younger, as the voice of the character, yeah. when I was younger, you know, that's part of what women's lib was about. Like yes. We could be as, you know, erratic in our behavior as the guys had been for yeah. generations, you know, and now it's all changing. And it's like, how do you feel comfortable enough to come into my office and tell me how to handle it, my marriage? Exactly. Which was fascinating yeah, to I, me. And, and that's where... From, that's. That's not too far into the book, and that's kind of what grabbed me yeah. about this this character and this story. Right. I was she she makes so many choices and takes positions that, frankly, I think are you know very unique for you know that she's fifty eight years old, mm-hmm. and you know given the way she was probably raised and mm-hmm. you know like people of our age mm-hmm. you yeah. know were raised it's it's frankly it's kind of a um disconcerting viewpoint you know and you know she often as she's processing all of this as it's going she often s- talks about how back when she was younger when she was in mm-hmm. college you know um having affairs with professors was 
it was like a power dynamic. Right. It was, you know, that she was asserting her power mm-hmm. while they were kind of, it was like an exchange of power. Right. And right. that now under the Me Too movement, that's not available anymore right. to women. And I thought that was a very unique interesting point of view that I had never considered before. Well, it's interesting. And I've read a couple of, I know we both did research for this mm-hmm. and I read a couple interviews with the author where she said she specifically didn't set out to write a post me to book. Right. Yeah. Just kind of, this is what it came out as. And I should say the writing is really good. She's mm-hmm. a playwright as well yeah. as a professor of, I think it's Skidmore college. Um, and, and this character that she's created in this, the protagonist is this is a very sharp individual. She's got a very, I described her voice as sonorous, like yeah. she owns herself and she suffers no fools. She does not. <laughs> Although she, you know, it's interesting, you know, we were chatting amongst ourselves about like, you know, she suffers no fools with her students and those around her, but with her husband, I think she suffers a very big fool. That's me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't get, I don't get their, relationship right really you know i mean it just doesn't i don't want to give anything away but their their relationship is problematic well it is and it it's the spark of this younger professor vladimir who mm-hmm. is younger in quotes he's really like 40, 40. or something yeah. and he's like this you know promising author at mm-hmm. age of 40 he's got one book out and i think more in the right. works and he's married to a a, a woman beautiful who's young beautiful woman. young woman who's successful of her own yeah and she's working with the university or what have you, and they have a child. And it's that younger couple that sparks the protagonist and her husband, John, to right. kind of, where are we as a mm-hmm. married couple? Right. Yeah, right? exactly. And I and we were talking about this before we went on air that, you know, I think in in relationships or marriages that have lasted a long time, you get to a certain point where you do start to question well, why does this person still love me? Do right. you know? Do I still love this person? Where you know? Where is this going? Mm-hmm. And I don't. What I couldn't find was the the answer to that. You know, that, that, question. that question for that for the older couple. You know, in this based on who the characters were. Right. And probably intentionally, right? Yeah. Like, I think I, I told you when you first were like, why am I reading this book? <laughs> um, that, you know, what the author pulled off, what, what Jonas pulled off with this novel for me mm-hmm. is that I read, I was compelled to read this book from page one to the very last page. And yet through that entire experience, I had no empathy for any of the characters. Right. Even the side characters. I really didn't like any, any of, of them. them. And I know some reviewers like the protagonist. They kind of related to the, to the, you know, the English professor who's dealing with her husband. But I, I made it through this book not liking any of them. And I'm still recommending the book. And then the other thing about it and where it was going in my mind, you know, she's, there's these allusions to Nabokov's work and other mm-hmm. works that have influenced her. Reviewers have, yeah based on that first prologue compared to Stephen King's misery. Yes. You know, the guy's chained <laughs> to a chair. Right. Um, we won't tell you how that happens, but I related immediately to Edward Albee's play, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, right? Which we've all yeah. seen in the movie, you know, right. Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor, and Sandy Dennis and the others. And that's that same kind of setup where there's yeah. an older academic couple and a younger academic couple. And over the course of an evening, you know, it you 
discover that there's the marriage that's keeping the older couple together is really, really frayed. Right. But those little strands are not giving. No. Like they're still together, but they really just burst out into the open. I, I think when you gave me that description, it gave me the will to keep reading because like you said, I didn't like any of these characters either. Right. You know, they're not redeeming really in any way. Right. And, um, but you, you do kind of get, you know, pushed along to see, well, where is this going? What's going to happen? And, um, it was, it's quite a commentary on marriage and, and, and the power dynamic that exists between couples in, in a relationship. And yeah, it was, I was also, sh- I was also surprised that the author is in her early forties mm-hmm. and she is in the head of her character. Who's, you know, she says many times she's 58. Yeah. And I, I asked you, I, before we started recording, how, how does a woman who's in her early forties get into the head of a woman in her late fifties so accurately, you know, as somebody who's close to the age of the main character, you know, I was like, how did you write? How did you write this? How did you know this? Because I didn't know Mm -hmm. at 40 what I was going to be thinking or feeling at 56. You know, I don't know how she did that. You know, I, I don't know either other than when I told you maybe she's an old soul. But, yeah. you know, I thought she was very effective at that. You know, we're yeah. both in our mid-50s yeah. and, you know, neither of us knew at that age what the other side of 50 looked right, like. Right, right. But there were definitely some themes here that kind of do resonate. Like, again, yeah. like the ground is we are that generation where the ground is kind of shifting beneath our feet. Right. Right. And we have to find ourselves adapting and dancing still a little bit more than we probably had in the past. There was one interview where she talks about, she was asked about writing the younger students. Like you seem to get into the voice of those 20 year old college students who invaded her office very (laughs) well. And she's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's, you know, I can see their point because young college students these days would have that, would feel that entitlement and power to go together and speak to a professor. It's no longer that kind of powerful relationship. It's more of a collegial relationship, which I thought was, that was interesting. I will, you know, we'll remind our readers, it is a novel. It's very character driven. There is a denouement that goes towards the end. You know, you do find out why he's chained to a chair at the end of it. And, you know, and along the way, there's all these questions of desire and fidelity and all this kind of stuff that go, that make it so juicy to me at least. And then as well, again, just reading it now in today's environment, um, you know, kind of some of the positions that the protagonist takes, are really quite interesting. So yeah, there's a lot, this would be, if you're looking for a good book club book, Mm -hmm. there is a lot to unpack here. There are lots of ways that you could go to talk about this book. I mean, we could probably spend another hour picking things apart and particularly the ending is not what you think it might be. So there's, you know, there's a, a lot to, to talk about there and, um, and to think about it stayed with, it's staying with me this, it is, book. right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's I think you're right. I think it's gonna be a great book discussion group. Mm-hmm. It's also uh, you know, 
one of those genre of campus novels, right? Things where, and I told you, I think she got yeah. this really good. This kind of like academic university campus, yeah, um, as a hotbed of controversy, and you know, like where everything is kind of magnified of what's going on yeah. in the world. It's magnified on the, on a campus, and right? You really do kind of have to watch where you step and where you sit and who you talk to and what you say, and that comes across beautifully. In this it, absolutely, it absolutely does, and and the things that she has to navigate being a, prof- a tenured professor at this campus as well because of what her husband has done right. is it it's the honest to god truth of what happens on campuses which is why I don't work in academia. Um, me too. <laughs> so once again, the book is Vladimir by Julia May Jonas. We have a copy in the library. You can find it in bookstores and we will put a link on our website so you don't have to write it down. Check it out. We'll be right back. Oxygen A colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved. Suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen-starved podcast. A colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. Welcome back, listeners. We have arrived at the C conversation portion of our podcast, and we are thrilled to have with us today a local author of worldwide acclaim, an Amazon bestseller, and the host of the of a new and I she'll have to remind <laughs> me of the name because I just forgot it. But Stacy Powell's welcome. Welcome, Stacy. Thank Stacey. you, thank you, Stacy and Christopher. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> We're so happy to have you here. Tell us really quickly what is the name of your new show, the new television show. So yeah. it's called This Crazy Life, and I had done a interview down at KSRW with Jason Brown about my book, Empty Cupboards, mm-hmm. and the owner of the station, or the manager of the station, MC Hubbard. She says, you know, I rarely watch the interview. She goes, but I watch this one and. Would Stacy be interested in doing her own show? And I'm, Jason called me right away. I'm like, uh, yeah. So, so you're uh, good. Cool. Yeah. So this crazy life was something that I was doing um, blogs with for a long time, and then we just called the show because that gives us a huge umbrella of the type of guests that we can have on the show. Right. Like, for example, <laughs> somebody's husband that was right. on yesterday. Our first guest, Wills, was our first guest from Eastern Sierra Pride. Oh, he's amazing. He was very and excited. And the color of his hair. <laughs> well, that'll Is that'll still be blue? dazzling on film. I'm sure. Is oh, it I love still it. Blue? It's, it's still purple. blue. It's purple. No, it's purple. Oh, is it purple? It now? was purple. Okay. <laughs> He's your husband. You don't know what color his hair is? It, it oh came my God. Home, it came home blue. It might be changing over okay. time. <laughs> it was beautiful. He's a great guest. <laughs> Thank you. Well, congratulations on the success of Empty Cupboards. That's Thank you. just, you've got to be thrilled by that. I'm a little surprised. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, yes, I am. I'm very grateful, you know, for everybody who's um, bought it. Actually, it's for sale at the Bookie Joint here in Mammoth mm-hmm. and Spellbinders down in Bishop. And Dave uh, at the Bookie Joint called me before I left for a writer's conference. He goes, there's a woman in here who bought your book and she's crying in a good way. She wants to talk to you because your stories are her stories. So I was just leaving for the conference. So I'm going to call her up and say, Hey, you know, we are all in this together. You know, it's mental health is a huge thing that we have to keep the conversations going about mental health. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's good. 
Dave for once isn't making someone cry for bad reasons. So there you go. Aww. He's a friend of the show. He'll yes. be on on our next episode. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I love Dave. Yeah. He's so great. We all He's do. Great. Uh, but before we get into empty cupboards, because we yeah. do want to talk yes. about it, Stacy Powell's. I'm surrounded <laughs> by Stacy Powell's. Powell's. Um, tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you ended up in Mono County. Well, um, I was born on the Sunset Strip. Seriously, at Kaiser Hospital down wow. in L.A. in July 1959. Um, my dad, big fisherman, would bring us up to Kernville, would bring us up here in the 60s. I mm-hmm. have a picture of us on top of Mammoth Mountain. I was like 10, mm-hmm. you know, wearing the, the glasses of the 50s with the rhinestones and oh the pointy things. It's me and my sister, brother, and my mom up there. And my mom hated it. She <laughs> is a princess all the way. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, she couldn't stand using outhouses. She would put a pine cone to her nose and then she could sap on her fingers and it was this whole thing. So <laughs> we stopped going because my mom wouldn't go. But my dad mm. loved this area. And, um, you know, I when um, I worked for Paramount Pictures mm-hmm. for many, many years, licensing music. And mm-hmm. when I was working on the Arsenio Hall show, the first one, mm-hmm. I was starting, my asthma was getting really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, I'm giving you a very short version. Yeah. I wrote a 10-page um, proposal to my boss in the music department at Paramount saying, this is why I can move and keep my job. Mm-hmm. And because music licensing and clearances, which is what I did, is phone, fax, computer back then. Right. Uh, there was no email. It was phone, fax, computer. And so... Um, he said, well, okay, let's sure, let's just give it to me and I'll give it to the brass up there. And two months later, he said, you're not going to believe it. I said, what? He goes, they're going to let you move and keep your job. Wow. And so I moved up here August of 92 with my first husband and was still working on the Arsenio Hall show, would go down once a month. Mm-hmm. And then I um, got divorced, left in 1999, actually 1998. Uh, I wanted the kids to be closer mm-hmm. to their dad because I thought that was the right thing. Mm-hmm turned out to be the wrong thing, excuse me, and got back up here in 2004 and was ready to kind of, around 2007, was ready to, you know, my younger son, Eric, um, had graduated Mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, usually you send your kids to Europe to congratulate Mm -hmm. them. I said, "Mm -mm, I'm going to Europe. So I went went to Europe for a month and went to Scotland. There you go. Loved Thurso, went to the Orkney Islands, did the whole thing and was ready to leave in 2007. And then I got hired to work full time at the Mammoth Times. And Mm -hmm. I was already working on KMMT and Carrie Mm -hmm. Tree on the radio there. And so I kind of stayed and then I had a relationship with this one person we're not going to talk about. And but if I had not been in that relationship, um, I wouldn't have gotten to know Dan, who is my second and final husband. <laughs> so I'm still here. That's great. Because awesome. he's still here. <laughs> and because this is my community. This is my home. Yeah, and you... it's his birthday today. It so. is his birthday today. Shout he out is to Dan. A Scorpio man. We were at Benton Hot Springs last night, soaking in the tubs and took some pictures that oh. are okay to use on Facebook. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, we love Benton Hot Springs. So it's gorgeous out there. We've had Bill Bramlett on. Yeah. So you're so you're you really are a mammoth local at this point. Nineteen ninety two on and off. Living it but being here, yeah, yeah. been here since the sixties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Pra- I mean, yeah, practically we have, native. Yeah, I have pictures of us at Shady Rest with the big blue station wagon pulling a trailer, um, pulling fish out of whatever creek we were fishing. And my dad, I will never forget this. Twin Lakes, where the lake goes into the makes Mammoth Creek. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget this. Right before the, right on the other side of the bridge, he caught a fish, and he was standing on the bridge, and the and he that fish got off. He jumped into the creek <laughs> to chase after the fish. Of course. <laughs> And I thought, he's going to go down. Because, you know, it starts going down. And 
I'll never forget that. I want to have one of those benches that we have around town yeah. in honor of people who passed away. I want to do a bench for him one of these Aww, days. So. That's That'd great. be so nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Very cool. Yeah. So do you have any like a like specific first memory of, of being here? Like Yeah, of my brother pushing me in the creek. <laughs> he was a little brat. Um, yeah. Um, if he, if my brother and my sister fighting a lot. Um, and being on top of Mammoth Mountain. Yeah. You know, when yeah. I was 10 years old, when there was snow, it was the middle of August, and there was so much snow up there. Sure. In the yeah. 60s, the good yeah. old days of right. snow being on there all the yeah. time. A little yeah. different now. So much snow. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember that. And the gondola was a little different. <laughs> I think yeah. there was only four of us could fit at a time, yeah, and it was dingy. one of the old ones. So, yeah, yeah. But we we loved it up here, and and I wish my dad would have moved up here. Um, this yeah. was his thing. I don't know if you read Pill Pusher's Daughter in yeah. the, the story. He needed to tell my mom, "Adios, don't want to live in the city anymore." And um, he just, right. yeah, he just should have been up here. You know, so he's here now. You know, right. she, you know, I have conversations in, with him, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> we won't talk about that unless you want to. So empty cupboards. Tell us about what was your inspiration to, to do this book? It's uh, a very soul bearing. Yeah, it's very raw. And some of the people <laughs> can't say, I can't believe you wrote about that. Like, well, you know, these are some of the things that I did that I was ashamed of. And some things that I look back on and go, oh, my God. Why did I do that? But um, I, I think the inspiration was I had a breakdown mm-hmm. and a pretty bad one, and I wasn't allowed to break mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to break down because we are supposed to handle everything. You yeah. know, we uh, mm-hmm. especially my family stuff was swept under the carpet. Nobody talked about the mental health issues. It wasn't till recently I found out that my grandmother had been institutionalized twice. Um, that my great grandfather was a very violent man with a lot of mental health issues mm-hmm. on my mother's side. Um, we didn't, I don't even know about the mental health issues on my dad's side, mm-hmm. you know, because they never talked about right. anything, mm-hmm. nothing, not even money, you know, mm-hmm. that's, yeah. which is, which was wrong. And so funny enough, not funny, funny, not funny. When I was in the middle of this breakdown, because I'm a writer, I thought, you know, I'm crying and whatever. One day this is going to make a really good story. And I wasn't sure how it was going <laughs> to go. But the first story I started to write was the one called I Should Have mm-hmm. when I was molested in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so um, over the course of the last 20 years, um, I wrote all these stories like, well, what about this? And so for me, I think the breakdown happened because of one thing after another, after another. And I had just had it. And my first marriage uh, and the subsequent divorce was the icing on the cake, so Mm. to speak. The straw that broke the camel's back, whatever those cliches are. And uh, I still, to this day, you know, I have my moments where I think I should have done better by my kids because I broke down at a time when um, they really needed a stable parent. Mm -hmm. They needed somebody who didn't have her head up, her lahula. Mm -hmm. And um, I really need to be there for them. And and I needed to raise them differently than I was raised. I was raised hands-off. Yeah. My mother was very hands-off with us. And she's very lucky that the three mm-hmm. of us didn't end up doing something mm-hmm. crazy in jail or even get trouble. I mean, there was teenage trouble with my siblings. Mm-hmm. But, um, but my kids needed a different kind of parenting. Yeah. They needed totally hands-on. Right. They needed me to be in their face. You know, and and demand that they get along, and demand that they didn't do drugs, and demand that they walk a straight line right. because 
their father was not like that. Mm -hmm. And I just, it was a really bad time for me. And so that is a big regret Mm -hmm. I have. You know, if I had a do-over, it would be totally that. You know, what struck me reading this, and and to me the chapters do seem very episodic. So to hear you say that you wrote these stories over time, um, the theme of I should have comes across in multiple Mm -hmm. chapters in this book. But at the same point, it's like, you're reading this chapter about what's happened to you, that that incident in the ocean when you're swimming as a young girl, something happens to you there. Um, it wasn't your fault. So mm-hmm. it, when you say I should have, is it you saying I'm taking ownership of this or responsibility it's, for it? Or It's I wish that back in the... Se- before the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and all that, I wish that we had, as women, had been brought up and men too. Men get molested, mm-hmm. and I know. Yeah. Um, having a voice when that happens, right. and mm-hmm. not being ashamed that right. something like right. that happens. I mean, I right. was very young when that happened, and I don't know if I felt like this was my fault, but it was something that was horrible yeah. that happened. That you know, I can still to this day remember every second about right. that moment because. You're not going to remember in five days maybe what you had for eat to eat. You're not going to remember what you had for Christmas, but we will always remember how people made us feel. Sure, yeah. always. Yeah, and um, whether it be mostly the bad stuff. Yeah, you yeah, know, the good stuff too, but it's mostly the bad stuff. Isn't isn't that true? How you do you internalize the bad stuff? You forget the good stuff, mm-hmm. and I think it's that's one of the reasons why it's it happens so frequently that we allow those those things fester inside of us and they build up mm-hmm. and we don't have... I think we're doing a better job of it now, teaching kids how to vocalize when mm-hmm. things are, are wrong or they're feeling a, you know, a certain way than we did when we, right. when we were all kids. You know, and you are in the perfect position to make sure that that happens mm-hmm. um, and trickles down from your position yeah. in the school district because um, a lot of kids at home don't, don't get that, That's you know, right. at home. And um, kids need to be made to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And that if if somebody is being treated inappropriately, whether it be a little boy, a little girl, teenager, whatever, and if that person who's treating them inappropriately, they usually threaten them with some yeah. kind of, if you tell, I will ABC, that they need to know that they still need to tell. Yeah. Right, you know what's happening. Yeah, and I don't know if I had told my mom right, like right then, what had happened. I don't know what she would have done. She she may have, you know, tried to tell the lifeguard. Find, I mean, based on what she did in Marriott Hot Springs, she may have, um, you know, really tried to right. find the guy and got right. him in trouble. But yeah. I'll never know because I didn't say anything. She right. read this story. First time she read the story was. Um, when she read the manuscript about a year ago, mm-hmm. and she said, "I had no idea this happened." I said, "Yeah, I didn't tell you." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was probably happening because of that, right? Girls weren't encouraged right. to share what was, you know, molestation. Mm-hmm. Guys were getting away from it, with it, mm-hmm. right? You know, and I think ho- hopefully that's what's changing now as it's more openly talked about. It still happens. Yeah. Um, my yeah. nephew, Josh, he's in a band called the Marias. They're doing really, really mm-hmm. well. And Maria, she, it just, it hit, it went viral a few days ago. Um, she was touched inappropriately by a member of the band, The Neighbor Neighborhood. Hmm. And she told some right away. 
And Good. he's he got kicked out of the band. Good. Good. And has apologized and everything. And because he said he was whatever he was on, he did that. But he, other people are coming forward because that he was being inappropriate. So I was really proud of her to just yeah. to get it out there right away. And my nephew wanted to kill him. Yeah. You know, I mean, this was not okay. Right. And so more women are feeling, you know what? I am not going to put up with this. And it's not just women. It's men too. Men sure. get right. harassed. Yeah. You know, it's not just us. Well, I, th- I think the Me Too movement definitely has helped yeah. that. But, you know, we've touched on these are very personal mm-hmm. stories. So my question is, how did you have the courage to to put this out there? I felt that talking about mental health issues, there's a lot of people, maybe you didn't know mm-hmm. I had a breakdown. I don't know mm-hmm. if you knew. There's a lot of people who I know that didn't know that I had a really, really rough time. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to ask for help for the longest time until I had that moment. I don't know if you've gotten to the mm-hmm. chapter where actually is the breakdown, where I was sitting on the stairs after dropping my kids off. And I thought, if I had a gun in the house right now, like somebody else would be picking my kids up from school. And that's mm-hmm. why I went, uh-oh. And so mm-hmm. I asked for help yeah. right yeah. away. Um, and I feel that... By doing a book like this and talking about the incidences that happen, and they may seem, oh, you know, little, like the French, ki- the, there was nothing French about that kiss, right. about the the guy that had a bet, mm-hmm. you know, basically it was what it was. And he took me out in Sportsman's Lodge and kissed <laughs> me and, you know, and then I watched through the big windows as he was surrounded by the guys and I could mm-hmm. tell he was right. telling, telling, you know, um, you know, a lot of people brush that stuff up, but it's that, he made me feel tiny and small and insignificant and embarrassed Mm -hmm. and those incidences that we all have you know that we all everybody is suffering or everybody has survived something we've all survived something Mm -hmm. that's what this planet is all about yeah and whether or not we think it's insignificant if those things keep happening to us and we keep pushing them down and down and down. We're like that Coke bottle that you shake it and shake it and shake it, and eventually it that top yeah. is going to explode. Kind of like Mammoth Mountain here one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, how um, unfortunately, especially with COVID and post-COVID, even here in Mono County and in Mammoth, we're not strangers to mental health issues mm-hmm. and suicide. And mm-hmm. there's a, another yeah. article about it today in the sheet on the day that we're recording this. Um, and how, you know, even in our small corner of the world where we think, you know, we have the great outdoors, we can go outside, we can exercise, you know, everyone's kind of hunky-dory, uh, at least outside. But internally, people are still very, very isolated and affected. And I think that's part of what... in affected me about reading your book is that you were so courageous to put this stuff on page. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to tell this some, to someone across the, the table, but you're putting it on paper mm-hmm. and letting strangers read about it. And they're having this reaction that Bookie Joint Dave shared with you, mm-hmm. you know, a complete stranger is yeah. having a reaction to your yeah. book. Yeah. You know, you didn't, did you read the meatloaf story? Mm-hmm. I, I did. don't eat meatloaves anymore, <laughs> by the way. I wouldn't um, either. <laughs> <laughs> so um, here's the thing is, and I, I was reading something about this area and what it's really like to live here. Mm-hmm. People want to come up here and ski, mm-hmm. but the housing is an issue. So they're living in their cars. Mm-hmm. They're sharing rooms with who knows how many other people. Um, they're having to work two or three jobs just to 
maybe hopefully pay their bills at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. And coming up here and the the dream of living in a ski resort town is is not what it used to be. Right. It's very difficult to make a living here unless you're working for the school district, the hospital, mm-hmm. even the mountain. Mm-hmm. If you're a lifty, you don't make a whole lot of money here. Right. Right. Um, and trying to find a place to live, even in employee housing, I don't know what they pay, but I've heard that it's not a whole lot. Um, they take money out of paychecks mm-hmm. for employee housing, right. mm-hmm. and which you know they do, of course. Yeah. Um, I hope that this. Um, this um, the parcel, the Shady Rose parcel, yes. where they're building affordable housing. There, I hope that really takes you know the load off of a lot of these people that want to live up here. Um, and you can see by the businesses in town, they all have help wanted signs. Yeah, you know, which is I don't know why after after the pandemic, all of a sudden there's everybody's looking for people. To, I don't know what happened there, but it's really hard to live here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's if you're living in your car. You know, in the forest, which a lot of people do in the summer, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. there's, there's a lot of us that go into the forest in the summer and pick up trash mm-hmm. yeah. and um, at, at, they go with water. Bottles of jugs of water are saying, put your fires out right now because yeah. we're yeah. terrified. I mean, I live in Old Mammoth. We are the first ones that are going to go up if yeah. something comes yeah. over right there. So it's really, yeah. it's really hard to live here and make a living. So I, you know, and, and it's a dream. Somebody has this dream, an 18, 19 year old, and they want to come up here and they can't make friends because they have to live in their car. And it's, 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 and they, maybe they can't go back home yeah. for whatever reason. It's hard. Yeah. It's, and it's not only 18 and 19 year olds. It's, it's, yes. it's older. It's 30 yes. year olds. And yes. I mean, I, I think that's something we always consider when we have job openings and people apply why do you want to live here? Right. Do you know what it's like to live here? Because it's not an easy place to live, no mm-hmm. matter what your economic condition. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that I know that have tried to live here and that have left. They've yeah. lost yeah. Um, some good people. Maybe, I don't know, maybe in the district, school oh, district, yeah. the hospital I know has lost yeah. people because they can't find a place to live. Sure. Yeah. And I, we've had people that say to us, can you please rent one of your rooms out in your house to somebody? But, you know, we have family that come and go. Right. I mean, we have our, you know, Dan's daughters and my kids, you know, they, they're always in and out. We do have a one-bedroom apartment above our garage and our tenants are great. One works at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, one works now at the pet store in town, Tailwaggers. Mm-hmm. And they've lived with us nine years, 10 years yeah. now. They're like, we're not moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're really good. They're really good tenants. We're really lucky. And, you know, in our property, I said to, to Dan, I said, you know, we have on a property that we could build a duplex mm-hmm. here, but the developmental impact, the right. fees, it'll be a hundred grand before we even break ground. Yeah. And yeah. we can't do that. I yeah. mean, they make it the... I'm going to stop right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, can we can I they, take a different they, can yes. I take a different tack with you, Stacy yes. Powell's? Um, you talked about you know this was a process writing these stories, yes. and and really it's just the last couple of years then that it's become a book. So yes. can you talk a little bit about the process that got it in print? like that? Yeah. Um, so when I had I have more stories, you know, that I could have put in the mm-hmm. book, but at a certain point. Um, you get charged more to actually manufacture the book. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I can write a second book if I, mm-hmm. if I really want to, or do those stories on Vela or some mm-hmm. other way right. to get them out there on Medium or HuffPost or whatever. And so I had the stories, and then I belonged to this writing group called the Story Summit. And I met them, this whole group, found it a couple years ago. It's actually run and created by David Kirkpatrick, who ran Paramount Pictures for many years. He ran the motion picture division, and he was there when I was working at Paramount. Wow. Hmm. I knew who he was, but he okay. didn't know who I was. All right. <laughs> 
Nobody would know a music clearance person. <laughs> so um, found this group, and through the group, I met Lisa Luca, and she was one of the people I interviewed about having a team to put this book together, mm-hmm. and she was very reasonable. And so Lisa and her team helped with the book. I draw, I drew, I'm, I can't draw, so I drew her like a second grade drawing of what <laughs> I wanted the book to look like, mm-hmm. and within 48 hours, she had this. All we wow. were all we were looking at is what color the tile for the bathroom do we mm-hmm. want? What color do we want the towel hanging over the cupboard? And what do we want in the cupboard? And so she helped me do developmental editing on the book. And she said to me when we were almost done, she goes, you know, this is about your breakdown. I said, yes. She goes, you don't have a chapter about the breakdown. Mm. Like what mm. happened? I'm like... Oh, yeah. I guess I was sort of avoiding that. <laughs> so that's why I wrote the chapter yeah, right. about Empty Cupboards, a.k.a. The Breakdown. And then um, she took it to her copy editor, mm-hmm. who did a bunch of magic on that. And then um, we took it to John, um, who did InDesign. I can't remember his last name at the moment, but he did InDesign. So it was Lisa Lucas' team that mm-hmm. she had gathered. Mm-hmm. So we did InDesign, and that's this is what we had. This is probably like a four-month process wow. to do that. And I decided to do self publishing. Mm-hmm. First of all, I wanted to see what that was like. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you go traditional route, everybody would love to have an agent and love to have a traditional publisher. But then if you if you get an agent who wants a book of personal essays, then they have to try to sell it to a publisher. Right. And then if they all do with their board meeting and decide to do it, then you're one to two years out from mm-hmm. that to get it published. And let's say I get a $10,000 advance. Well, I'm not going to make any money on the book aside from the 10000 until I sell enough books to give them back their $10,000 advance. And even beyond that, I only right. get $1 to $2 a book. So self-publishing, I get a much better royalty on that. And I got it out you know, pretty quickly. So it was a, for me, it was a much better way to do it. Would I like an agent? Yeah, I've got several other book projects going. Mm-hmm. And at the Kauai Writers Conference, where I just came from, there's three agents that want a couple of my books. So That's great. Yeah, we'll see. That's well, exciting. Well, you self-published it and you got it out there because everyone yep. knew this book was out in town yeah. when it was published. Well, you know, it's real, it was kind of an accidental launch. So the end of August, I called some friends. I said, hey, it's up on Amazon. Can you just buy a few copies and, do, <laughs> and just do some reviews for me? And they're like, yeah. Well, what I didn't say to them was, please don't put it on social media yet because I'm not ready to launch. Mm. It was going to launch October, which is Mental Health Awareness, Awareness Month. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, they put it out and it was just went. And Lisa yeah. and I, Lisa, Lisa Luca and I, she was in Italy when it went and she goes, okay, here it is. It's out. We got to go. And so I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, booking podcasts for yes. it. I'm booking book signings. I do have my first book signing at Barnes and Noble, um, a Barnes and Noble book signing November 27th up there. That's great. It's Thanksgiving weekend. I'm is, so grateful. Is that for in Reno? Or? Yeah, Reno. Okay. Good. Yeah, up in Reno. I'm very excited about that. And I'm just trying, I'm doing the PR and the marketing myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really hard to do that because I still have to work full time. I have, yeah. I have to afford this. I mean, (laughs) I'm, I'm, you know, it's expensive to. To get this down. Well, it helps that you have the experience that you yeah. do around how to do PR and marketing to get the word out. I, so. I don't really. I've never done book marketing before, ever. 
No, I don't. I mean, I can be on the radio and I can chat and I don't, I'm not afraid to do that. But as far as what to do to get a book out, it's a whole different ball game. And so I am constantly Googling, okay, podcast for mental health, podcast mm-hmm. for women's is, and what, where am I going to be during Christmas? Okay, I'm going to be, um, my hum, husband and I do home exchange. So we're going to be in Cambria for 10 days. So my girlfriend who lives over there, Jacqueline, mm-hmm. I said, can you please give me a list of all the bookstores <laughs> near San Luis Obispo and Cambria and right. Morro Bay? So she did that. So we're hopefully can get some book signings there because it's all about selling the book. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, you know, Amazon can go only go so far. Um, Amazon ads are expensive. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody is sick of me talking about the book on my social media, but, but I still do it because if I can well, sell one or two books about that, you know, great. But it takes a lot. And I don't have the $8,000 to hire a literary publicist yeah. right. who would do all that. So for 100 bucks, I bought a media list of all the morning shows, all the talk shows in 3,500 of them. Wow. I just was told in, at the Quiet Writers Conference, why don't you hire a virtual assistant to send a press release out to all these people? I'm like, ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding. So I'm going to be looking for a virtual assistant to send the press release to those 3,500 media list people and hopefully get interviewed um, you know, about the book, and which will in turn hopefully you know, be book sales because the book is available on Amazon, of course, the local bookstores mm-hmm. here and Barnes and Noble now. So mm-hmm. great. And at the end of the month I have um, all the other places and I am going to be doing an audio book. Great. But again, oh, nice. but again, that's $4,000, you know, I mean, well, I it's I'm, had such a positive response that I can't imagine it's not going to continue to I hope, you know, well. my husband says, Stacy, don't stress out because it's going to take maybe five years. Maybe you'll mm-hmm. you'll break even in five years. I'm hoping three and a half. <laughs> so well, you're certainly putting in the effort. Uh, it is, and I've got other books going on. I've got um, Diary of a Sugar Addict, <laughs> which is is that literal? Is that more? It's is it's it, a memoir. Uh, okay, but it's it's not as intense okay. as this. I mean, there are some intense things I talk mm-hmm. about in there, but it literally since 2014, I've been keeping a diary of my hor- horrendous sugar addiction. <laughs> and and I, I, it's really bad. Sugar addiction is a real it's, thing. It is. And it's bad. So there's that one. And I've got a YA series that um, I'm nice. getting out there. And I've got a women's fiction. And my partner and I have a couple of TV shows we're pushing. So wow. um, it's a lot. And I, you know, I'm... <laughs> no rest for the weary. No. Well, <laughs> you know, we always ask our guests, well, what do you do in your spare time living here? And it doesn't sound like you have much. No, I play pickleball. Oh, you very know, good. When I can. Yes. I do play pickleball when I can. Um, I like to walk. My husband and I walk. But I, I don't like walking in 30 degrees anymore. I don't like mm. snowshoeing anymore. I tore. Uh, I, did a, I did a groin pull the mm. last time I did that. And skiing, you know, I kind of want to die with my own body parts. Um, <laughs> it, uh, June, I think I might try June. Yeah. Again, because June is so it's big little... and wide, and and people can get out of your way. Yeah. <laughs> June Mountain, yeah. yeah, yeah. So June, so I may try to do that a few times. I didn't get an icon pass or anything, but um, and we travel. You yeah. know, as long as there is um, uh, Wi-Fi, because I still you have can... to work. I'm I'm good. We were in Fiji a couple of years ago, and I had to have Wi-Fi because I still had to work. And thankfully, there was an internet cafe in this little town that we were staying at <laughs> in wow. Fiji doing home exchange. So. I love it that you're like one of the original remote workers having started uh, that at Paramount. I was Paramount's first telecommuter. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was ending my years at Paramount was really bittersweet. Mm. I mean, there was a story in there about yeah, that. And yeah. I, you know, I, I had the best boss ever and then he left and it just went downhill from there. Yeah. So that's well, okay. But now you can't 
swing a cat in this town without hitting a remote worker. So right. you, um, set a, you set a standard. I'm allergic to cats, so I <laughs> wouldn't do that. <laughs> or a pickleball racket. <laughs> and avocado, by the way. <laughs> so we, we know you, you write books, mm-hmm. but... Are you a big reader? Huge reader. My mom said I was three weeks late because I was either finishing writing a book <laughs> or reading a book. One of my favorite books of all time is Island of the Blue Dolphins. Oh, oh I love right. that book. I read that every couple of years. Love that book. Yeah. I, I, I want to be named Karana. Part of, the, <laughs> yeah. part of the fourth grade curriculum still. I was going to say it's still yes. published. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love Island of the Blue Dolphins. You, are you asking me now what I'm reading? Yes. To that yes. Point? Uh, what are yes. you reading? Okay. So uh, my husband and I are listening to the, uh, the last installment of the Outlander series, don't, uh, don't Tell the Bees That I'm Gone, Go Tell the Bees That I'm Gone by Diana Gabaldon. Um, I am reading M.E. Squared by Pam Grout because I want to manifest a whole bunch of money in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it works. I mean, her... The, it works. The things that she you do there, the exercises. There, it's, I'm not familiar with this book. So she talks about strategies oh, to... I'm going to buy it for you. Okay. okay. <laughs> or I'll order a few from the bookie joint because I okay. like to support the local bookie right. So E.M. Squared. Um, I just finished The Exiles by... Cynthia Baker Klein, I think that was uh, a really great book on how Tasmania became Tasmania um, before and what it was before and the women convicts. It oh, focuses wow. on the women convicts. It's like in the wow. 1840s. Really, really great book. Is it nonfiction or fiction? It's fiction, okay. but she uses. Does, is it like narrative nonfiction? Um, no, it's fiction. It's fiction. You know, oh, so but she uses Sorry. events that happened. You know, the okay. Brits. The Brits th- put all their convicts on Tasmania, right? right. And right. so it's it was called Van Deren Island back then. And so it was really, really great book. Um, I am also reading um, Autobiography of a Yogi. And I just bought Fear of Flying. You know, I yeah. Erica Jong, I've yeah. never read that. So I wanted I to read that. Um, I have Ashley Animal Farm. Also, oh. I've never read that. So Ooh. I have that. Oh my gosh, you will... Love, love, love. So why did you pick up the Erica Jong and the Animal, Animal Farm? Farm? Because yeah. um, I was at the Henry Miller Library in Big Sur, and they had it right there. And I said, you know what? I've never read these books, and I'm supporting the Henry Miller Library in Big Sur, and so I just bought the books. And so those I'm reading. Um, there's another one called The Twin Sister or The Other Half or The Better Half, and I, you know, I'm so bad with The names. Vanishing Half? Maybe that was it. Is that it? He is fairly new book. Yes. Yes. Okay. I know there was half. a half there. Yeah. I, you know, with authors, I read so many of them. I can't always remember. Great. The, the great author. novel. So I got that book. one. I'm trying to think of what else is on my list. I have so many of them. And I'm trying to, I have Chaucer. Um, I have a first edition Chaucer that I, I got. And I, Dan and I, um, I'm going to try to re- read it to him at night. Oh, wow. fun. Just because. Yeah, I can say not? I read, I have Somerset Mong. I've got, you know, the old, old first editions. Um, I've got the original Out of Africa mm, first wow. edition there. Awesome. Yeah. I don't know what to do with the first editions. Should I, should I donate it to you guys when I'm dead? Because my family, really, my family is not going to care. No, eBay these things. There's the, I should eBay the, them? E- I can't first, do that when I'm dead. First edition, well, tell your family. Because <laughs> first family. editions go for a lot of money and they go into the hands of people who care for okay, them. Okay, yeah, because I, I do have some of those. And, um, you know, there's a big book on Esalen Institute, you know. And, of mm-hmm. course, um, the book that Shelley... La 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 wrote about Carol King, Joni Mitchell, and Carly Simon. I read that book. Uh, the girls. It's, what is it yeah, called? The, um, I see the cover. They're all three on the cover. Yeah, I can't remember, but I read it, and it's very Oh, and Amy good. Ferris, um, Marrying George Clooney, really funny book. And Deborah Engel, The Only Little Prayer You Need, that is a really good book. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I love that you're such an avid reader. 
you know, Stacy and I talk about this all the time. We're usually, I'm usually balancing two to three books at mm-hmm. a time. Um, my husband, Wills, has picked up on that habit and he adds audiobooks. So he's got a couple of books and an audiobook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your reading habit? Like, what is your reading lifestyle like? Okay, so I've got a book on the back of the toilet. Mm-hmm. I've got a book in the car mm-hmm. in case I have to wait. Two books in the car. Actually, I have uh, the Kite Runner there. I just grabbed because I didn't read the Kite really Runner. Yet. I love you have a book in your car in case you have to wait. Oh, yeah, in yeah. case I have to wait even like three minutes at a light. I'm like, okay, I can get a page done. I'm really, it's an addiction. I love I'm it. I'm totally yeah. addicted to that. Um, I would have been a librarian had I not. Not too late, Stacey. But yeah, not, yeah, for me it is. I can't add one more thing to my list of things to do. Um, I, I, so I have them. I always carry books with me on airplanes. Um, when Dan's watching football or something, yeah. maybe I'll watch a book if we're not you know, mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. a new Netflix series that we're watching. Yeah. Yeah. I always read before bed. You know, that'll knock me out until I have insomnia at two in the morning and I'm up again and then I read again. Yeah. Um, that's how I finished The Exiles the other night because I was up at three. So I love so. that because what I'm hearing is like more and more, and more and more people I hear like this is that it's not one book that you carry with you through the day. It's a it's a book for each situation, right? And you're mm-hmm. able to switch your brain mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to read this now. And I'm gonna well, because it. I might yeah. not be in the mood to read... You know, the right. autobiography of Yogi is very intense. My yeah. older son wants me to read it. And I'm like, I can't just like read it. A couple, maybe one chapter a week or something. <laughs> um, also, Journey of Souls is a really, really good one by Michael Newton. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah. You've read that? I know Ooh. of it, yeah. Ooh, we're going to have to have another show about that. <laughs> um, yeah, incredible. So I know I, it depends on what I'm, my mood yeah. is. Sometimes I'm in a mood for fiction, sometimes nonfiction. Sometimes, uh, you know, I've got... Um, uh, the, Mark Wolin's book, It Didn't Start With You, about epigenetics. You know, I'm reading that. Um, it just kind of depends on my mood. I love it. Mammoth is full of readers. Mono mm-hmm. County it's, is full of readers, mm-hmm. which is, as a librarian, is really reassuring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a teacher. It's <laughs> and, very good to know. Yeah, I did a book club with Tracy Taylor. I had a book club. And so um, I talked about uh, mental health and empty cupboards with that. I'm happy to go on any book clubs in town. Or even Zoom. I can do that. Well, that's awesome. That's We're great. going to be relaunching some here at the library in the new year. So Yay. stay tuned. Yes. Thank you, Stacey Powell. Thank you so for much. For spending time with us today. It has been delightful. Thank you. I am so grateful that you asked me. I, I love that. Thank you very, very much. It's so lovely to spend time with you too here on this wonderful No Oxygen podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you read the, the front of my book says something about yes, that. It yes, does. it does. <laughs> What? And we really appreciate you making time yeah. from your busy yeah. schedule. It, so thank it wasn't you. so much the busy schedule; it was the stuck. Oh, the stuck gas truck. truck. <laughs> I had to call a friend <laughs> to get me here. Gosh, we appreciate that absolutely. Thank I you. wasn't going to miss this for the world. <laughs> <laughs> and we appreciate you, listeners, for spending another episode with us on the Oxygen Starved Podcast. Again, Stacey Powell's book is Empty Covers. We will put the links to this and all the other books we've talked about on this episode up on our website and on O2 Starved, our Instagram account, Facebook account too, right? Mm-hmm. We encourage you. We implore you. Message us on Instagram or Facebook or on our email from our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, and let us know what you think. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you want us to read in the new year. We are planning that out now. In the meantime, happy December now, I think, and happy holiday season, and we will be back in another two weeks with Bookie Joint Dave to talk about Yay, our top picks. Our so, top picks of the year. Yeah. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. 
Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.